So I, I spent many years in student ministry. I was a youth pastor. Um, this is a long time ago. Uh, I was a youth pastor, and, and one summer, my students uh, uh, asked me if I could go with them to a uh, high school camp. And so uh, <clears throat> we, I took them up there. It was a, a Young Life camp. I don't know if you're familiar with Young Life, but it was a camp up in Michigan. And it was it was a really nice camp. Like, Young Life doesn't spare any expense for camp. It's, uh, um, uh, it was really nice. So this camp set on a lake, and, and so um, during the week, you had different options of activities that you could do. And uh, so we got to Friday, and we had two options that we could do. Um, you could, uh, they, they had a lake, and so they had speedboat, and so they would hook up a this doesn't sound like a good idea, but they hook up a parachute to the back of it. Par- is it like parasailing? I can't remember. Is that what it is? And then they speed off, and then you go up in the air. I, I knew I was not going to do that. That was, that was not going to be my jam. So I'm, I'm afraid of heights, and so I knew parasailing was out. So the second option for our group um, was to do this thing um, called a banana boat. You guys know what that is? It, it too is hooked up to the back of a speedboat, but it's it's this giant yellow inflated um, thing that looks like a banana, and you sit on it, and and then you hold on, and then the speedboat takes off, and they drag you from behind it. You guys done this before? It too does not sound like a good idea, being dragged through the water by a speedboat on a banana, giant banana. So I, I too, I'm, I'm afraid of heights, but I also don't like the water very much either. I'm just like a dirt guy. Like, I, ground is fine with me. And so, um, but my students were begging me, like, we got to do this. Like, you know, please do this. And I was like, can I just stay in the boat? Like, do I really have to get on this banana thing? And they're like, no, you just, this is going to be so much fun. I knew that was a lie. It was not going to be fun for me. But they put life vests on you, and so I decide... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit in the back of the banana boat. I'm going to sit on the very back little seat and hold on. In my mind, it sounded like a great idea. In actuality, it didn't end up very well. So I'm sitting in the back, and I just decided in my head before we take off, I'm going to hold on for dear life, and I am not going to let go. Like, I'm going to be the one guy that doesn't fall off. And so this thing takes off, and it's, it's not fun. It's, it's going, and they're speeding along. It's getting faster and faster. And I'm just I'm closing my eyes because I just don't want to see where I'm going, right? And so I can hear the kids screaming, and I know they're falling off this giant banana. And so we're right along. I'm just holding on for dear life. I just want it to stop. And, and I've got my eyes closed, and all of a sudden I feel this right in my face and I it it hurts so bad like this smack in the face hurts so bad I just let go and of course and then I go in the water and I go under and then you just start to panic right because I don't swim and so I'm panicking I think I'm gonna drown right and then of course I have a life jacket on so I pop right back up and I think okay I'm good and then I open my eyes and all my students are kind of swimming around and they're all pointing at me and yelling and then I, I, I go this and I, I've got blood all over my hands so what had happened was the kid in front of me had reared his head back and smacked me right in the face and so my, my nose is bleeding everywhere and I got blood everywhere and 
I just remember thinking, I hate these students. I don't want to be their youth pastor anymore. No, that's, I'm just joking. But it was like, this is a terrible, this is a terrible thing. I don't want to do this. It, it reminds me of the, the, the really famous philosopher, um, you know, Mike Tyson, who, who said this. He said, um, everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face, right? Yeah, that's, that's true, isn't it, of life? Like, everybody's got a plan until you get smacked in the face by somebody in front of you. Like, the, the fact is, is that I felt that kind of feeling um, of feeling like I've been punched in the face many times in my life. Not necessarily physically, right? But I felt it emotionally and I felt it spiritually. Like, I just feel like, you know, life is just going right along the way that you think it's going to, and then something out of the blue happens that just sucker punches you right in the face. And you just go, holy cow, what just happened to me? I mean, I've experienced it through a death of a loved one, I've experienced it through um, just the, the death of a dream, something that, that I th- held on to really tightly. I've experienced it when I've lost um, a, a job that I really wanted to have. Like, there's just been those moments that I've felt that just punched to the face, feeling just like you're completely helpless and hopeless in the moment. I've felt it spiritually in my own life. I've, I've, I think I've, uh, most of you who have been here before, you've heard me talk in the past about what um, St. John of the Cross talks about, the dark night of the soul, which is something I experienced a couple of years ago where, you know, I just woke up one day and said, I, I don't remember the last time I prayed. I don't remember the last time I read my Bible. And I just felt just so abandoned by God. And it doesn't have to be quite that severe, but I think, I think there's seasons in my life where I've just felt that, where life just didn't go the way I thought it was going to, and it, it was devastating. And, and I did feel like I was drowning in the moment, like I felt so helpless and hopeless. I don't know if you've ever felt that way before. I, I don't Maybe you've, you've had an experience like that where you just feel like you've been punched in the face and you're just like, I just don't know where that came from. Maybe you're experiencing it right now where you're just, you just feel like you just, can't, you just can't come up for air quick enough, right? And let me just say, if you haven't experienced it already and if you're not experiencing it now, I don't mean this to be a real downer, but the fact is, is at some point in your life, you're going to experience that, and, and it's going to hurt. You're going to be heartbroken. You're going you're to feel rejected. You're going to feel like there's nothing there to grasp onto, and it's a pretty helpless feeling. I, I believe the disciples um, in, the, in, the, in the, the story that was just read, that Elena just read for us, is that kind of moment for them. Now, it started out very physical in nature, Right? They're in a boat. We're going to look at the story here in a moment, kind of unravel it. But it's physical in nature, but Jesus very quickly takes something that's very physical in nature and moves it to something that, that's very emotional and spiritual. And uh, so I want to spend some time talking through that uh, today. So it tells us there in verse 35, it says, On that day when evening came, 
Um, He said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking to the boat, so that the boat was already filling. Let me just give you a little context for what's happening here. This, this may be a story that's familiar to you, and that's, that's fine. Well, let me just kind of um, review with us kind of the context. So Jesus has just finished teaching. Uh, we heard from Pastor James last week uh, where Jesus is teaching the parable of the sower. Uh, Jesus has been teaching parables all day, and uh, what had happened is that his crowds have grown um, uh, to thousands of people. And, and the crowds are so great that they're, they're backing him up uh, right after he's teaching his parable, while he's teaching his parable, they're backing him up so that he's right on the edge of the Sea of Galilee, like he's standing on the beach. And, and the crowds are just pressing too much. And so he asked the disciples if they, if they could put him in a boat, and then he's going to sit in this boat, and he's going to teach to the crowds from just right on the edge of the lake shore, right? So he's, he's sitting in the boat, and he's, he's teaching the crowds. Now, he's, he's sitting there all day teaching, and uh, he's sitting under this hot Middle Eastern sun, and, and it's exhausting. I don't know if you've done public speaking before, but it, it tends to be quite exhausting. It, you, you rewind just a little bit more, and you see that, that Jesus is, um, the last few days of his life have also been kind of exhausting in nature. He's... Um, He's been healing people. He's been dealing with uh, enemies of his who are, who are trying to draw him out and, and get him engaged in a debate. He's been dealing with this family who's been talking about how crazy he is and how to, he's out of his mind. Uh, and then he also uh, just had a, uh, a night where he spent uh, awake in prayer where he's praying over who his 12 disciples are going to be out of this crowd that's following. So it's been a couple of days of pretty intense ministry. And so Jesus is sitting in this boat, and it's, it's been a long day. And so what he does is he tells the disciples, let's push out into the lake. Let's push out into the lake and go to the other side. So that's what they do. Um, the language that's, that surrounds this um, tells us that they're, they're rowing. They're not actually sailing across the lake, that they're actually using manual labor and they're rowing across the lake, uh, which is pretty, is pretty typical in the Sea of Galilee. So they're, they're trying to row across the lake, and now it's evening. So it's, it's pitch black out. And, and so now we have the disciples uh, rowing to the other side. Uh, the 12 are a mix of people, right? You've got a, you've got a tax collector, Levi, um, who I preached about the last time I was here, and you've got at least seven of the 12 who are fishermen. These guys are experienced. This is not their first time on the Sea of Galilee. They've been here many times before. Uh, they're experienced guys who uh, probably have spent uh, most of their life on this, on this body of water. It probably dates back to not just to their occupation, you see, but it would have dated back to um, being on this lake with their dads. That's how you became a fisherman. I'm a fisherman because my dad's a fisherman and my grandpa was a fisherman, right? So these guys have spent countless days on this sea, and now you have them rowing across this lake. So uh, the story tells us, Mark tells us here, that a fierce gale of wind has struck up, this great windstorm. The language that's used describing this is like hurricane weather. So we're talking 67 to 70 mile an hour winds that have, that have now picked up. Uh, the Sea of Galilee is the, is the lowest um, 
uh, body of water on the face of the, uh, face of the earth. Like it sits in the lowest part. And so you've got, the, you've got these, these mountains, hill that surround it, and what happens in this normal tranquil kind of sea is that these winds pick up, these, these hot winds coming, out, coming off the, the mountains rush down into the sea, and then it stirs up these storms. It's not, it's not uh, it's just something that regularly happens there. But this, this is a major storm that has rolled in. So the, the winds have, are rolling down off the hillside, rushing into the Sea of Galilee, and it's, it is kicking up a storm like you've never seen before. Which is what makes this kind of strange in some ways because you've got experienced fishermen who spent most of their life on this body of water and they're starting to have some reactions, right? I mean, the story tells us that... that they're becoming incredibly distressed. So they're trying as hard as they can to row through this thing, but the waves are just picked up. The wind is, gale force wind is going through here, and it's ripping this boat, and it's going everywhere. And so in a panic then, they go to Jesus, and uh, actually three Gospels record three different ways in which they, they respond and talk to Jesus. So in Mark, it says, um, the disciples asking Jesus, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we're perishing? Where Matthew records, save us, Lord, we are perishing. And then Luke records, master, master, we are perishing. You've got three different gospels, three different writers who are telling us the same story, right? Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? Save us, Lord, we are perishing. Master, master, we are perishing. So, so which one is Right? Which gospel account is right? My guess is that they're all right. That they're all right. It's like in this panic, the disciples are, are trying to do whatever they can to get this thing under control, right? It tells us that the boat's already filling up. They're probably just trying to scoop the water out. They're trying to hold on for dear life, row through this thing, right? And they're just, here's the Greek for it. They are freaked out, Right? These guys just like, they've never experienced anything like this in their life. What's even stranger about this scene, other than experienced fishermen, fishermen that, that cannot get a handle on this situation, what's even stranger than that and their response is what we find in Jesus' response to the storm. That's what's incredibly odd about this. Here we find Jesus, and what's he doing? He's sleeping on a pillow. Right? Verse 38. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. Now, I'm a sound sleeper. Like, I'm a really sound sleeper. So when, when we had babies in our house, I, I remember <clears throat> I would tell Lori, I'd say, like, I'm a really sound sleeper. Like, it's, it takes a lot to wake me up. And, and, I, and most of the time, she didn't, like, when the baby was crying in the middle of the night, she would have to give me one of those, right, for me to get up and, and get our youngest Noah when he was, you know, when he was crying at night. Um, but she came home one one night, I don't know where she was at. She was coming home. I already put him to bed. She came home, and uh, she came in and shook me. She's like, do you not hear your son screaming his head off in the crib? 
Um, apparently, he had been there crying for a long, long time, right? You can tell when kids have been crying for a long time. And she's like, did you not hear him crying? And I was like, I, I didn't hear a thing. Like, we, we could have had a hurricane, a, like an a earthquake, a typhoon go through our house, and a baby screaming. I would not hear it, right? And so she finally believed me that I, I actually am an incredibly sound sleeper. That is not what we're talking about here. We're not talking just about someone who's sound asleep, right? Now, now, granted, Jesus was exhausted from days of ministry, from a day of teaching, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about Jesus in the stern of a boat, right? This boat is being tossed around the Sea of Galilee. There is gale force winds that are ripping through this thing. Like, I don't know if you've ever been on a boat during a storm. Like, it is... It is like everywhere. You, you've got disciples yelling, trying to bail this thing out. You, you, you've, got, you've got water gushing over the side. Like Jesus is probably being pelted with rain and water. And he's asleep. He, he's asleep through this entire thing. How is it that Jesus can sleep through a storm like this? See, Jesus has a tool for dealing with storms. This is a real key to what we're talking about. Jesus has a tool for dealing with storms. You know what it is? It's a pillow. This is how Jesus deals with storms. So how is it that he can do that? I think there's a, there's a couple reasons why he can deal with storms with a pillow. One is he knows who he is. And he knows where he's going. He knows who he is, and he knows where he's going. So the disciples, um, they're in verse 41. It says, they're filled with great fear and said to one another then, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? It's a great question, right? He's calmed the sea. He's already calmed it. It's, It's done. And so now the disciples are just... They have fear, right? And they're asking the question, who is this? Of his 30 plus years dwelling here bodily on earth, God himself spent roughly one third of that time asleep. He not only ate, drank, cried, celebrated, just like every human, um, he also became tired. John tells us that he became wearied as he was from his journey, as he's journeying on. John tells us that he becomes tired, just as we become tired and weary. This is human, right? Yet it's one thing to sleep, and that's quite another thing to sleep through a storm. Not only is this a testimony of, again, of how tired he must have been, but how trusting he is. 
what serenity of soul, what rest in his father that he can sleep in a storm. See, sleep invites an exercise of faith. When we lie down, when we close our eyes and give ourselves over to sleep, we make ourselves vulnerable. Jesus not only trusted his disciples to fall asleep in their presence, but he also entrusted himself to his faithful father. Knowing that his father would care for him and meet every essential need. Psalm 4.8 tells us this. It says, in peace, I will lie down and sleep. Said God's anointed one, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. What does it say about the sanctity of our own sleep that Jesus, the God-man himself, slept? I think he knew what Psalm 121 says is that, that God will neither, neither slumber nor sleep. See, if you know who you are, right? If Jesus knew who he is, right, there's, there's nothing to worry about. What does it say for the peace in Jesus' own soul that he could sleep even in a storm? There's something about knowing who he is that allows him to sleep. The second thing, though, is, is that in the midst of the storm, Jesus knows what's on the other side of it. So let's think just for a moment, if we, we flip ahead to next week, right? So in chapter 5, we're going to find that Jesus, it, because it tells us there in uh, verse 35, it's, at the beginning he said, it, he said to them, let us go, go to the other side. So Jesus has some intent of where he wants to go. So when we get to chapter 5, the beginning of chapter 5, on the other side of the sea, Jesus meets a man who's uh, coming out of the tombs. He's a man who's been possessed, and, and now he's, he's, the moment Jesus steps off the boat, he's met immediately by a man who has just been destroyed by demons. And so now Jesus is going to respond to this man. But see, it's, it goes beyond just what's directly on the other side of that sea. Jesus knows that on the other side of that sea is something beyond just what the immediate is. See, he didn't say to the disciples, hey, let's row out in the middle of the, of the Sea of Galilee and let's all die there. He didn't say that, did he? He said, no, let's Let's go to the other side of the sea. He knew exactly where he was going. And it wasn't just to the man who was demon-possessed. Jesus had a mission in mind. He knew where he was going. And there there wasn't a hurricane in this life that was going to stop him from fulfilling that mission. He had the cross squarely in his sight. You see, the problem for us is that in the midst of storms, when we feel like we've been punched in the face, we forget who we belong to. We also forget where we're going. When you get punched in the face, most of the time we do is we just, we see the storms that are right in front of us and we forget that there's something on the other side of it that we're headed to. But Jesus sees perfectly 
what's on the other side of every single storm in your life. He sees it. And it does not frighten him at all. He is not frightened. It tells us then, as the disciples are freaking out with the storm, right? In verse 39, it says, He awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace and be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And then he said to them, he asked them two questions. He said, why are you so afraid and have you still no faith? Two questions he asked the disciples. Why are you so afraid? Just, just pause just for a moment and I want you to ask that question of yourself. Why are you so afraid? If Jesus who's asleep on a pillow and, and you we are so fearful why are you so afraid I think there's a couple of reasons why we could be so afraid one is because we all we see in front of us are just all the wind and the waves like we, we see the immediate trouble that's right in front of us. And it's raging all around us. I think the other th- reason why we, we tend to be afraid is that we've tried everything else to fix the problem. And we forget that we're in the same boat with Jesus. Like he's, he's in the boat with us. He's asleep on a pillow, but he's, he's, he's right there in the boat with us, but all we can see is the things directly in front of us. And all the things that we try to do to fix the problem just don't work. It just reminds us how helpless we really are. He asked the second question. He says, have you still no faith? I mean, that's a good question to ask ourselves as well. Why do we still not have the faith? What are we lacking in our belief about who Jesus is and where he's taking us? He asked the disciples that question. Why have you still no faith? And their answer very simply could just be, well, we're trying to fix this on our own. We're still trusting in our own efforts to to make this go away. But our typical tools for solving problems just don't work in the midst of a storm. We we run to all kinds of things. We run to our, our friends, our family. We run to our own efforts, our own work. And the reality is, those things in a storm just can't work. They don't. I love this psalm, Psalm 107. I'm going to read it for us, Psalm 107, 23 through 32. I'm going to encourage you to to maybe jot that psalm down and read it 
maybe this week a little bit. I love it because I think it, it reads a little bit like poetry. So um, just, I want you to hear it, right? Just kind of imagine with me this, this psalm, the picture of it. The psalmist starts in verse 23, says, Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, and they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in all their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men, and they were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love and for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him and the congregation of the people and praise him and the assembly of the elders. What is the response that we have? I, I, I loved that, that they felt that the men in the ships, right? The, the storm is it's going high, it's going to go low. It's, they're, they're feeling like they're, they're, they're like staggering drunk men, and they're at their wit's end. What do you do in those moments when life punches you in the face? She so gives us that response in verse 28. It says, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. And I wonder a little bit if Jesus might have been thinking about this psalm, right? He wrote it, right? <laughs> I wonder if he thought about this psalm in the midst of that storm, knowing that he is the sovereign God who controls it all. Perhaps the greatest act of faith is not an act of bravery, but an acknowledgement of your helplessness. Psalm 127.2 says, It is in vain that you rise up early and go late, go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. Isn't that a beautiful psalm? And when I think the psalmist is talking to some of you, you wake up anxious every morning. And at night, you toss and you turn. You eat the bread of anxious toil. You cannot sleep. But it promises that he gives to his beloved sleep. You are his beloved. And he so desperately wants to give you sleep and rest. Aren't you tired? Aren't you tired of feeling helpless and hopeless all the time? Do you feel tired of feeling like you get punched in the face? Like you're drowning? Let me just tell you, the sovereign God who controls the wind of the waves, he was telling you, 
Come. Rest. Just rest. Lay your head down and rest. You worry so much. You, you let all this anxiousness, right? And here's Jesus sleeping in the midst of a storm. Why? Because he's the king of the universe. Like he, He's sovereign over all things. He knows exactly where he's taking you, and because of that, you can rest. It's an invitation to come, to lay your head on the pillow, and just rest your weary head. Some of you need to hear that tonight. You are exhausted. And you need to hear the Savior calling you to come and to sleep. You know, there's, there's two occasions that are recorded in the Gospels when Jesus did not sleep, that he pulled an all-nighter. Um, it was not for a Greek exam or Hebrew exam, right? Um, for Jewish school or whatever, right? It wasn't those times. There's two occasions when he didn't sleep. I mentioned one already. It was when he pulled an all-nighter and he's praying, asking God to tell him who among this crowd of people should be his 12. Basically, who's going to change the face of the earth by starting the movement of the gospel, right? Pretty big decision. Um, And then the second time that Jesus pulled an all-nighter, anybody know when that was? It was in the garden. Is in the garden. The moment that Jesus can't sleep is a moment that he is in anguish. He is begging his father, Father, would you let this cup pass? I, I don't want to do this. But in that moment, Jesus is up and he's sweating blood. It is such anguish for him in that garden. His, his disciples, now they're asleep, right? Now they can't, they can't be woken up. They've fallen asleep three times. There's Jesus awake. In that moment, in that moment, he knows exactly who he is, and he knows the purpose for why he's been called. He has his eyes firmly set on the cross. He knows that the pain and the anguish that he will experience would be for each and every one of you. Let me just tell you this. All of that was so that you could rest. All of it. All of it was for you to rest. So that there's not one thing that you have to do in order to inherit eternal rest in him. Not one thing. Everything Jesus did on the cross, everything he did was that so that you wouldn't have to work at all toward your salvation. So why are you afraid? And why do you still lack faith? Let's pray together.